something to the effect of like the irony of like what we're trying to get from drinking, we actually get from not drinking. And so that really resonated with me. Like that was like, yep, I know that one. And I just met this kid, he was four. Happiest kid I've ever seen. He's in a wheelchair because he just got, he got hit by a drunk driver. And that was right at that time of that incident. So that, that was a really powerful, like, holy cow. That was part of my incident. I was like, I, I hope somebody, I hope they pull me over so I don't hurt somebody. Like this isn't, I, this shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Oh my God. So. Wow. Hey, sober people and sober adjacent people. Welcome to I Have 12 Questions. I'm Amanda Patton, your host, a leading expert on nothing. However, I am in recovery and I love it so much so that I launched this podcast where we get to talk to people who are trudging the road to happy freaking destiny across all the different ways that people get there. So while this is definitely through the lens of recovery and sobriety, these stories and the themes that we'll be covering are universally human. So love, loss, grief, excitement, parenting, outside issues, purpose, God stuff, whatever. In the words of the great Ted Lasso by way of Walt Whitman, I want to be curious, not judgmental. So like I said, we'll be talking to people in recovery. We're going to be talking to experts and practitioners who help those people along their path in recovery. And we're just really excited to hear people tell their stories and to be inspired by them and to create a community of support for everybody in recovery and people who know and love people who struggle with addiction issues and whatnot. So anyways, we're so glad you're here and thanks for listening. Hey listeners, just a quick disclaimer before we get into the interview. These episodes may contain adult language and subject matter that's not appropriate for all audiences. Also, we are not doctors or psychiatrists, so what we share on these episodes is certainly not to be considered medical or psychological advice, just our own personal experiences, which we hope will be helpful to others on a similar quest. So that's it, and thanks for listening. Hey, Sober Family and our entire listener community, we have such a great show today, um, and I always say that, but I really, really mean it, and I can't wait to get into this one. Um, our guest is Lee Adkins, and we have known each other for since grade school, middle school, like two, a long time, um, and he's a trusted friend and a person who doesn't drink. Um, we all have different semantics and, and, and names that we put to that, but he does not drink alcohol. Um, he's also a dad, he's a successful real estate guy and a podcaster and a musician and all kinds of other things. Um, and I will put in the show notes how you can kind of get in touch with him and connect with him online if you would like to. Um, but without further ado, Lee, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks, Amanda. I'm really excited to do this with you. And it's been fun to watch your journey building this. I'm, I'm really proud of what you've done and, and how you keep after it and keep doing it. Thank you. Well, you do this too. And it shows you're just like a polished podcaster, right? It's like your voice and the way you're so it's obvious that you do that. And so it's weird to be recording our conversation because we do these periodically in real life um, where we kind of solve the world's problems and we talk about all kinds of stuff. And they really, you know, they, they really mean a lot to me. Um, and when I wanted to start a podcast, I was like, where do you even start? This is so overwhelming. Uh, and I reached out to you or maybe you and I were talking, having one of our catch-ups and I brought it up. I don't remember. 
and you sent yeah. me over tons of documentation step-by-step on all the tools that you have to look for and what you need to get set up to be able to do it. Um, and so, you know, that was crucial. I don't think I would have been able to do it other than just outsourcing it completely, which I didn't want to do. I wanted to have control and have my voice and, be, you know, that kind of thing. So, but that's the kind of person you are. You just help people for no reason. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's funny. It's actually really well, how well you kind of encapsulated a lot of things uh, in, in that. Um, and yeah, it's funny because I, a lot of people reached out to me after I started my podcast, which is real estate related. I would imagine a lot of listeners here wouldn't be interested in it, but it just occurred to me that it made sense to document some of this because people yeah. all the time say, Hey, I want to do that. Or I'm thinking of doing it. Um, and so, yeah, I just wrote down what I use and said, Hey, maybe this isn't for everybody, but here's a leg up. And I've shared it with a lot of people and, and a few of them have started podcasts, but it was especially cool just with our history and all that to see you do it. In fact, I don't think we talked again. I think I saw an episode pop up and I was like, she's doing it. Well, I don't, you know, I'm that kind of person. Like when I, if I'm going to do something like it's, let's just do it. Um, And it's, it's going to be a miserable failure or it's going to work, but either way I'm going to at least, um, at least try. And it was very overwhelming and it's extremely time consuming in the beginning when you're trying to figure everything out and you want to quit after every episode, you're like, I'm done. Right. I don't ever want to do that again. Um, and then later you're like, it's just like, but it's like anything else, right? It's overwhelming. And I love how it ties back to how we all can help each other. You know, you have experience in things that I don't and vice versa. And I used to never ask for help. I would have suffered for weeks and months trying to figure it out on my own just because I refused to ask for help. And it just made my life so much easier because you were like, yeah, sure. I'll just send you over all the things. And I was like, oh, my God, just saved me. I don't even I think know. You did that with a with a vacation trip once too. It's just kind of my th- I don't know for better or worse, it's my thing. I like to yes. document things and share them with people if they're useful or relevant, uh, which is a lot of what we do in our in our in our business. But right, um, yeah. Do you want to do some kind of quick background? Or you want to dig into questions? What's yeah? Let's do a quick background because I don't listen to your podcast anyways because I think it's interesting, like the follow up boss stuff and the just. I love real estate anyways. Um, but it's also cool, but just because it's their people, right? And so, yes, right. it's real estate right. focused, but there's also a lot of other things, skills that you can apply to any. Um, yeah, I think I think I mistakenly use the term some, but there's so many things that are metaphors for other things. You know, it's not that you're going to do this exact real estate thing, but it may be a mindset thing, or it may be uh, how I built a company or how I, you know, do things. So. So the quickest rundown, it's very odd. People often ask me, like, how old are you? Because um, a lot of these things overlapped. I've done a lot of interesting things. So I did, I played music through school coming up. Certainly, you know, a bit of the the band guy in, in high school and whatnot. But um, decided not to pursue music after high school because we, we had an unbelievable program at our high school. I mean, really professional level, just un- really unbelievable. Um, but I decided to go to college and do something else because I'm like, this is all I know. I want to learn something else. Um, of course, music came back around very quickly. I met someone my, before my freshman year of college started in the hallway and he was like, he had on a rush shirt and I was like, Oh, you like rush? He's like, yeah, I play guitar. I was like, Oh, I play bass. Um, so fast forward three years later, he had moved back to Atlanta and said, Hey, we need a bass player. So part of my story is that I dropped out of college to play in a rock band, which was Pretty reasonably successful. We had a good we had a good run for about six years. 
So after that, I got more into the music education side of things. Um, we may or may not go into some of that, a lot of different type of things. It enabled me to meet a lot of amazing musicians I looked up to when I was a kid and ultimately to get to play with a lot of them or a good chunk of them, which was just unbelievable. Um, but after that, uh, I'll make it just a hard pivot. In 2006, I got my real estate license because mm -hmm. I was interested in real estate, but I knew I didn't want to be an agent forever. So quickly that evolved into more of an operational role. Mm -hmm. And that's been ever since. So now I own a company that's really focused on like operations and CRM help for real estate, more teams and brokerages, you know, the group dynamic. Right. Uh, but we certainly work with some solo people that are looking to, to have a growth strategy and figure out all the software and all that stuff. So cool. And I love how you're such an eclectic, you've just got this collection of interests and experiences and your life really tells that story. And I, I love it. So like, from an icebreaker perspective, and I know this is probably torture for you because you're a musician, but like, you know, if you had a theme song, what would it be? Or yeah, you're, it's you're a great, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. And, and it's funny because I thought about a lot of different things because you know, is it the message? Is it the music itself? Is it like, what's the, what's the thing? You know, there are some, some key songs in my life. Um, I wouldn't call them theme songs per se or something like that, but um, widespread panics everyday album really changed my life. That's what made me decide to move to Atlanta. I was like, people are doing this kind of music in Atlanta. Like I want to be in that scene. Like that's really interesting to me. Ironically enough, their first webmaster was a good friend and ultimately a roommate of mine for a long time. So some cool full circle stuff with, with that band. Um, I, the tiger is a really great song that I really like. Not so much that it's like Rocky stuff or whatever. Um, it's just a song I love and I got an opportunity to uh, to spend some time with and also play the song with Jim Peterick, who was a co-writer of it. He also wrote Vehicle. Um, so that song kind of has a, I checked my playlist for play count. Yeah. When you yeah. asked me that, <laughs> that one's way up there. Not that it's like some like, I got to yeah. get psyched up thing. It's just a song that has a, a specific meaning to me. That's so cool. Like an emotional connection. Yeah. Right. So when did you actually get sober or quit drinking yeah, or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I, I typically refer to it as not drinking. I think yeah. sometimes in, in, in recovery, what people might refer to as a dry drunk, I just don't do it. Yeah. Uh, following a program, you know, as we talked about before, there there's a lot of different ways to do this thing. Yeah. Um, and some that are proven great and that work and they're great for certain people, like I get all that. I'm relatively well-versed in a lot of it. Um, you know, my story ultimately is kind of in two parts in 2004. Well, and one can imagine. And what's funny is I didn't drink at all in high school, really didn't drink a lot, even my first year in college. Um, but you know, especially in the music world, when you're traveling, you're driving to someplace to get there at three or four o'clock in the afternoon. You're setting up, you're doing sound check, you're just goofing around. There's nothing else to do. You know, they bring out a bucket of beer or a, some shots or whatever, and you start drinking at three or four in the afternoon, and then you play a show, and then at three in the morning, you're still hanging out drinking. So you're really in that environment. I think people a lot of times think it's like sexy to be in a band and all that stuff, but 
It's a lot of hard work, a lot yeah. of load in, a lot of crazy hours, a lot of access to whatever you want. Um, and, you know, I think another problem for me is, is, and I know a lot of people probably say this and may or may not know it or realize it. I was able to consume a lot of alcohol and not, I wasn't fall down drunk. I wasn't weird. I wasn't mean. I just could drink a lot of alcohol. And so in 2004, I had an incident, uh, more tied to driving. Um, and a friend and my spouse at the time who I'm no longer married to, um, actually did sit, sit me down and said, you know, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but like, you need to take a break or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, I would, I would consider it an intervention. I don't know that I did back then, but you know, I had two of the closest people in my life say like, probably shouldn't do this like this anymore. Um, and so ultimately I, I stopped then. Um, and I know this might sound crazy and I stopped definitively for a full year, maybe two years. And what was interesting is in 2005, early 2005 was when I started getting kind of connected to all these famous musicians and getting an opportunity to play with them. A lot of them are in recovery or not drinking. Um, but the key for me is that I was at my peak. I had, as a musician, I had traveled and played 150 dates a year for six years. I had taught a bunch after that. I was really in like the best shape of my life mentally, physically as a musician. And I had this opportunity that came up um, that it's fantastic that I was sober for. I, I was, and I know this is going to sound crazy to a lot of people, but I did kind of slowly come back to some social drinking. Mm -hmm. My rule was that I'm not going to drive. And this is still pre Uber, you know, all that. So it was just like, and I was able to like drink a beer and watch a football game or whatever. Um, but in 2010, there were a couple of things that happened, but I also started dating someone in recovery. And I just realized very quickly that I was like, you know what, there's way less upside to this or way less downside to this than upside especially if I'm going to be with somebody and I don't want to have to be like, Oh, I can't come over. I just drank a beer or whatever that sort of thing. So that was just kind of the, the final catalyst of like, I'm just, just not going to do it. And I know that sounds really crazy probably to a lot of people, but yeah. with some practice and a lot of support, I just said, I'm not going to do this anymore. That's crazy. And that's good. Yeah. I mean, I think people yeah. are so different. And like you said, you support, is key. I don't care who you are. Like we have to have some level of support, which is partly why people are part of a recovery community because you've got that built-in support, safety net, you know, accountability, blah, 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 whatever. And then also for me, the other side of it is um, addressing whatever's going on underneath there. Um, and sometimes it's emotional stuff that causes us to behave that way or to use unhealthy things to numb for other people. They just, they like to party and then it got out of hand one day. And that's really, it's really that simple, but for every person, it's so different, you know? And, um, uh, There's one other important element I, I want to mention that I actually kind of sometimes forget, but it was really a key thing at that point in 2004, I had gone on, I was teaching a lot of music and I, I, part of the business that I had at the time was putting preschool, putting music programs into preschools that didn't have them kind of like a third party, like we'll provide a music program for you. Yeah. And I just met this kid. He was four. Just met this kid. Happiest kid I've ever seen. He's in a wheelchair because he just got he got hit by a drunk driver. 
And that was right at that time of that incident. So that I, I'd be crazy to not mention that. Like that was a really powerful, like, holy cow. That was part of my incident. I was like, I, I hope somebody, I hope they pull me over so I don't hurt somebody. Like this isn't, I, this shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Oh my God. So wow. That's an important part of the story. I, I forget. I wish I knew his name so I could thank him. That's huge. That's a huge, that's, and you know, people call it a God shot or a God wink or maybe it was coincidence or whatever, but like that culmination of those things happening all around the same time. Um, and I think, you know, the next question talks about what, you know, what did your life look like? If you even had what you would perceive as a rock bottom or a gift of desperation, like it sounds like it was more of a one day, like, why am I even doing this? It doesn't, there's, there's, yeah. you know, or was it the driving, the driving incident was sort of the wake up call. If you had a rock bottom, right. Yeah. I yeah. think that, yeah, that was the biggest one. There was also something else. Um, when the initial band finished, this band called soup, um, you can find it on iTunes or, or anywhere. I don't make yep. any money for, for getting four plays on, on, on Apple music. But, um, <laughs> After that band, we took two, we, we formed another band that were a couple of guys from our existing band and a couple of somebody from another band who had done the same thing, hit it hard on the road, really tried to make it, just did it, you know, really, really did it. And it was interesting because we were all, you know, the only thing I can think of to liken it to that might make sense to people is kind of like a rebound relationship. You know, it was like, such a good band, great songs, unbelievably talented people, but we just, we just drank. Like we just, we, it, we drank the whole time. And it, that is, I have very few regrets in my life. That is on the list, just in the sense that it was right people, right room, right. Everything. It was just the wrong time, you yeah. know, but uh, it is what it is, but the same thing. It's kind of, okay, this is happening too much. Then 2004 came. And then 13 was a little easier to just be like, okay, well now we're just going to, just going to go all the way. Just be done with it. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's so crazy. It's funny because you and I even, even, you and I haven't even talked about a lot of this, which is interesting. I'm just, I want to acknowledge kind of right off the bat or pretty early in this, like, I don't talk about this stuff. Not, I don't even know why I'm just really private about it. It's not, but it's the same with a lot of things. It's not the alcohol. When I say this stuff, I mean me and my life and being an adult and being a parent and like all those things. Like I just don't really talk about them publicly. And, yeah. you know, I want to thank you for the opportunity to do this because you're such the right person to have this conversation with. The fact, you know, if it helps somebody else that's listening, then that's great. Yeah. And it's varied. It's different than a lot of stories. And that's important because we need to represent every variation of people's experiences so they can hear something that resonates and and, you know, um, I, I've been in, this is my 10th year in recovery, meaning that every single week, several times a week for the past decade, I have openly spoken about my very, very personal life in front of a right. room of people. And so for me, it's, it's just, I don't even think about it. I don't go talking to regular people about it, but I'm very right. used to, um, but I do, if people ask for help, but it's, it's weird because in recovery, you, you get to that point where, um, 
you just bring up the craziest stuff in meetings and you don't think anything of it. And if anyone else walked in there who, when new people come in and they hear the stuff we're talking about, they're like, oh my God, I would never say that out loud, you know? <laughs> right. And I think a lot of people do need that perspective. Like they need it. They yeah. You need to be in a room where there's somebody way worse off than you and somebody way better off than you. And you're like, okay. okay. You know, I, I fit here. This is good. And something I want to mention to you really quick, um, and hopefully not, not derail us too much. I really enjoy, as much as I say I'm private about all of it, obviously everybody I'm around knows I don't drink. Yeah. I do tons of like real estate events and conferences and things like that. There's always happy hours. There's always that. I really enjoy now and really for a lot of it being that part, like people don't know I don't drink. People it's great. I have some great friends that will come up and be like, Hey, can I grab you a Coke or a water? Or like they know and they get it. But I enjoy those conversations, even with people that are drinking. If they ask me why I don't drink, you know, just a little tidbit. My, my short answer is I reached my quota early. I just did a lot of it. Got it all out of my other way. Just did a lifetime of drinking in like 10 years. You just, you just crammed it all in and got it over with. I checked that box. That's amazing. Well, what is something that you do every day to stay on track, you know, emotionally and physically and recovery? We call it on the beam. Um, but there's a lot of, for me, there's a lot of scaffolding and guardrails that I need. I need that structure and that routine to just make sure. And then if I'm wobbly or I'm starting to fall off or seeing old patterns crop up, I'm very, very aware and I know exactly what I need to do. Um, but I have a structure of a 12 step program. What do you, what do you do? I know you're a runner. I know you've got all kinds of hobbies and things, but like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think, I think that the other interests are a big part of it. Like I, for better or worse, don't really get bored. I'm not, I'm not great at relaxing. I'm not terrible at it, but like I have a lot of interests and a lot of them involve. Yeah. Things where, you know, I do woodworking stuff. Like you can't really get drunk and run a circular saw. Like there's, (laughs) there's a lot of things like that. I think that just kind of like, same with music, the way that happened for me in 04 and then in 05, really getting this unbelievable opportunity. um, Just being sober for that, I think really just kind of redrives the point home of like, you're doing some important stuff. You're doing interesting stuff. You're doing stuff that you love you could really cloud it by not being focused. But I mean, yeah, I meditate, I run, I hike. Um, I'm not, I'm not in a lot of circles with people. I think this happens over time. You're just also not in circles with a lot of people that are like, let's go out and get crazy for, you know, I just, you kind of, some of that's age, I guess, but you know, you're other than being the designated driver, like you don't get that call to go do it anyway, which is great. Um, but, and I'm pretty disciplined. I mean, to be fair, like I played sports when I was young at reasonably high level, like music stuff. I did classical music, obviously in jazz in high school. And so you, you, you are in this environment where you have to do the work and then you show up and then there's a group of people that depend on you after you've done your work to do it and it's no different in a band. It's no, it's, it's funny. The older I get, the more I see this in my entire life. Yeah. Same with a real estate team, same with any business, really. Like you've got to have the right people in the right seats, clear roles, understanding what they're supposed to do. 
And uh, yeah, I think I just kind of accepted this role and that is what it is. I, again, I know that sounds oh, like crazy simple to a lot of people maybe, but no. works for no, me. No, because I think you're running and music and woodworking. Those are meditative activities. Those are activities that kind of require presence and concentration and focus and, and that, and, you know, replacing old unhealthy you know, habits or activities with, and then aging does, it does make it easier because, you know, I mean, you'd be surprised. I've just trying to date and different things. I've met some 50 something year old men who are still partying like they're 22. And it's like, Oh my God, right. even if I wasn't sober, like that's not my scene. Um, I mean, good for you if that's what you're doing, but like for me, I just want to be in bed by 10 PM and reading a book and right. right. <laughs> so I can get up. For my really I can get up right. for my work. I can show up as a prepared right. part of a team. I can bring, I can make sure I did my part. Like I can show up for my family. Like, I don't know, that feels, it feels really um, good to be able to count on myself, you know? Yeah. And to have well, other people. And, and to your point, on. yeah, to your point too, I think being a parent is a big part of that as well, because it's not, it, oh, it yeah. ain't just you, you know, you gotta, yeah. you've gotta show up for that, you know? So. Yeah. Your schedule yeah. stops so mattering. A long time ago, like from the time they come around, you're like, oh, okay, I don't sleep anymore. And all of my free time and expendable income is gone. <laughs> right. Well, and the other interesting thing about us, and, and again, I know I'm pretty private about this, and I think you are too, is that, you know, part of us reconnecting was that we both had older kids, at least relative to kind of our peers and the people in our, in our same age. So I think that also is an interesting blessing in the sense of like, you know, when they're eight, nine, 10, 15, whatever, like that's a different, you know, you can do whatever you want when they're two or three to some degree, <laughs> but you know, the more they advance and the more you have to show up at school stuff and do whatever, like that's another for me now, look, look, let's be real. I'm not telling somebody they should have a kid so they can get yeah. clean, but like <laughs> it's, a fact, it's a factor for both of us. So I think it bears yes. mentioning. Yeah. And I think too, that, you know, being, in, being, being empty nesters in our forties, that's not a very common right. thing and it's right. a unique position to be in. And and so um, sometimes it's, it was scary for me for a while because it's like, you, you do have all this time and you're at a point in your career where maybe you've got more flexibility, you've got more expendable income and like that could turn into something not great for me. Um, right. So I need to make sure that I'm, yeah. So I think it's all, it all really, I mean, how have your family and friends dynamics been for you in recovery? Like, did you, cause in the program, there's a lot of stuff that comes up around boundaries and like changing your people, places and things. And, and it, that's really, really hard um, to leave behind, you know, friends or have to create boundaries with certain family members or you just, whatever, but what did, did it shift for you? What did that look like? What does that look like? Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, it was interesting for me because, you know, I grew up obviously in a small town in Texas, same, same yeah, as you. Same town. Um, but, you know, I guess a lot of this happened, you know, after I moved to Atlanta. And again, back in the, like, I I, I feel so old because now I start to say oh, all these oh, things that you say the only old, only old <laughs> people say. But, uh, you know, it, I, it just, it was before the internet. It was still at some level before cell phones and all that. So I certainly am close with my family. I don't recall specifically necessarily saying to them like, 
I'm not going to do this anymore. I think we went on a summer vacation and I wasn't drinking and nobody really said anything or asked any questions. And kind of from then on out, it just, just didn't happen. You know, they just kind of knew, but I don't know that it was ever super overt. Um, you know, like I said, starting to date somebody in, in recovery, but I think it's also really important. You know, I was mature enough at that point, finally, to not do it for them or because of them. I knew it was it was my choice for me, but that was kind of yet another catalyst of like, all right, cool. Well, don't have to worry about, you know, is it that? Are we that? Am I can I drink on Tuesdays and not on Thursdays? Like, what does all that look like? It just that seemed more complicated than it than it was worth. And and again, I know that's unusual. And then I mentioned a little bit of this, but I feel like on the business side, you know, I really do enjoy like people ask me and I enjoy talking about it. Oh, you don't drink? Like, are you not drinking right now? Or you don't drink ever? Or did you used to drink? Like, I really enjoy those conversations. You know, I really just, I don't know. I don't, maybe it's the helping people. I don't know exactly what it is, but I just like talking to people about it. You know, if, if they ask, if it's relevant, I don't go around, like I said, I'm pretty private about it, but if somebody asks me why, like, I'm going to shoot them straight and give them the short version at least. Yeah. I don't, I don't talk about it, but it is, it shocks me to this day how people just cannot handle the fact that you are not drinking. Like, I don't know what right. it is about that because if someone orders an alcoholic drink, I'd go, Oh my God, you drink. Why? But if you don't drink, people are so curious and they can't, right. they don't, some people don't like it. They, right. they will continue to bring you drinks and send you drinks. And it's like, I even, I have my club soda with lime in my hands. Like I'm good, but it makes people feel some kind of way. And I, I don't understand it, but like, and I used to say, I'm getting ready for a race, you know, or I'm on an antibiotic right now. Like I did that for a long time right. in professional circles. Right. And then I finally just started saying like, I just don't drink, you know, I just choose not to drink. And, um, but it's weird. Well, that's changed a lot though too, though. Yeah, the overall dynamic though of that, I agree with that because when I first was in those circles, there certainly was a lot of that. And I used to, you know, just go in. Here's a good tip for the non-drinkers: I would always just go in, like order a coke, tip the bartender like five bucks or ten bucks or whatever, and just make it really clear that like. And then and they're great because then you look over at them and they're like, "Oh, you want another coke?" I'm like, "Yep." Yeah. Yes. You know, so that kind of helps helps establish it, I think, as well. But but I agree with you totally. Like 10 years ago, I had a lot different conversations than now when people ask me, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, Yeah. It is what it is. Like it's just, I, it's just me, like, you know. It's just what I do or what I don't do. Yeah. So in one of our um oh wait, sorry. When was the last time you thought about drinking or had a resentment pop up and what did you do to walk through it? And you may not have cravings anymore. I, I really don't. Um, I have cravings to escape. I get this feeling where I feel caged in and I want to make it stop or I want that instant relief from my anxiety or, or whatever, but it's never really about drinking. It's just about like feeling uncomfortable right. and being willing to like sit with it and try to figure out what's going on with me type of deal. Um, yeah. So it could look however that looks for you, but yeah, you know. I really couldn't agree with that more. It's kind of the same thing. I just feel like I'm not in an environment. I mean, look, one of my my across the street neighbor moved in and I helped him do something. And he brought me a bottle of wine, and I was like, "Thanks." And I gave it to my kid. I'm like, I, 
it's it's not a big deal. It's not, you know what I mean? I'm not yeah. in environments where I'm like triggered. And look, I got plenty of other issues. I got plenty of work stuff. There's plenty of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And again, I know it sounds really crazy to some people, but I also hope that some people out there might be like, Hey, I relate to that. Like yeah. maybe, I, maybe this is the right, you know, path or, or similar thing um, for me. But I think to be fair, like, you know, it's funny. I go to all these events and they send you like speaker gifts and it's like a bourbon cup and uh, you know, like half of it's related to alcohol. And it's fine. I give it to somebody or I throw it in the trash or whatever. So again, it, it's not about opportunity. It's really more about environment and like, but yeah, to your point, same, I'm similar to you in that sense. I really don't. Yeah. I feel like there's anything to miss, you know, I, don't I feel either. like I did. I worked with, for the same company for years and for the first few years for Christmas, you'd always get a bottle of like really nice whiskey or something. And I didn't want to type up an email to somebody saying, please pick another right. present. Right. But it was weird. And so you just give it away, you know, to whoever, but it, it was, it, it was weird to, um, it's just such a different existence. You know what I yeah. mean? I have um, done that by the way with Southwest airlines. Cause they send you the drink coupons. Cause I fly yeah. them a lot and you always get drink coupons. And I actually mm -hmm. wrote a message one day. I'm like, can I get free Wi-Fi or something? Like, I just don't you know, like you can give it to somebody else. I'm like, I know, but like, I'm not going to drink because I have a coupon, but like send me right. a $10 gift card off my next flight. But like, don't I just don't need drink tickets. Don't make the assumption that rewarding people with alcohol is like applicable to every single person, you know? Right. Um, and that's all you can get with them. It's not like you could like get a snack or whatever. Like it's no. only alcoholic drinks, period. Right. I'm like, all right. That's so funny. Um, so in one of our recent catch up conversations, you were talking about um, how you've sort of been like reminiscing or revisiting certain periods of your life. Um, and I've noticed that in my time over, you know, being sober, I've gotten to go back and relive and reprocess certain things. Some of them were wonderful. Some of them were horrible. Like it's, it's all the things, um, but it's almost like when I was ready or when I had the emotional maturity to see what I needed to see or something, I don't even know how to explain it, but um, you know, I want to come at things with, with compassion and with curiosity instead of like fear or dread or shame or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so what has this entailed for you and what are you learning? Cause you, in our conversation recently, you touched on it, but you didn't really get specific. So I'm just curious, like where you are with that. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. I kind of feel like in some sense I've been going kind of back through life backwards, just chronologically. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah, just viewing things with a very different lens, like either what was my responsibility in that? Like it really helps you too to not just like blame other people. Like I, that's kind of a natural thing for people like, ah, uh, my marriage maybe do this or this thing maybe do this. And the reality of it is, is you, you, you're a contributor in all of it, whether you realize it or not, in some sense, you know, most of the time. And so going back through, and look, I also want to acknowledge, I have a very, very normal, like upper middle class white male life. Like I, I, there's no, there's no trauma. My parents are still married. Like they still live in the house I grew up in. Like I'm hyper aware of the privilege that I have through that. 
But I also think going back and looking through it, and I don't want to get into a lot of detail on this, but you and I talked a little bit about this. Like I grew up in a very like racially diverse situation. I like it's, I'm incredibly grateful. It's so easy to look back in hindsight and be like, wow, like you have all the luck and privilege and, and right stuff, you know, going. But I think, you know, number one, developing even more appreciation for that. Um, and hopefully I think feeling a responsibility because of that, right? Like I have all the reasons or, or tools or whatever to potentially like have an interesting platform. Like, you know, with like women's issues and things like that, like who's, who's, who's responsible for fixing that? It's not women for racial issues. Like it's not, it's not the other people that need to fix the thing. It's the people like me that need to, you know, pay talk attention. Talk to your friends, talk so, to your neighbors, talk to your family, like be right. that voice because yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we grew up in the same so, town, but, we, but there were different high schools. And so, right. We talked about that. Our experiences were wildly different based on right. demographics and this and that, which is so weird because it's a small town, but like it's, it was very different. Right. Yeah. Right. And some of it is that I do go back pretty frequently. Like my family's still there. We just spent a week at the beach together with everybody. Like I am physically there a bit and I, you know, I don't keep in touch with a lot of people from high school, but the ones that I do like, there's meaning to that. It's a very intentional, yeah. purposeful relationship. And we keep in touch. We Some of us have traveled together and done interesting things. So yeah, there's just all these things that I, I think viewing it through a different lens is the easiest way I can think of. Like the almost 50 year old me now can really process and think about things a lot differently than the 25 year old me, you know, yeah. having lived a lot of life, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I remember, like, and I was telling you this last time we talked that when I, when my pop was nearing the end of his life last year in September, he passed away and, um, and I was down there a lot and not just for a weekend or whatever, but like extended periods of time staying that, you know, and it was so weird because I felt like I was 11 or 12 again. It right. just, it was right. like the You're school. You're going to get in trouble or you can't go here. Just, yeah. And the park and like Sonic and like the mall and all the things and it's changed, but the feelings are still. And I remember when I was younger, I was like, I just want to get out of this town. I hate it here. I hate it. You know, it was just this very immature, angsty attitude. And then now revisiting it, there's so much nostalgia and there's so many good memories and good experiences that happened there that I had sort of just blocked out or written off because I don't know, but it's like you're saying, it's like you get to see it from a completely different perspective and age has a lot to do with that, you know, but so do changing dynamics and families and like losing a parent. And it's, it's like this reminder of how fast everything goes by, you right. know? And things don't have to be good or bad. Sometimes they're just, they're, right. they're varied. They're their own thing, right? Yeah, I think I think you nailed it with that. I think part of what we do is we put all these labels on, like, that was good, that was bad. I wouldn't do that again. I have, That's a regret. And I think to more view it through, like, okay, what happened and how did that affect or shape me? Then that's a, a much more healthy place to come at it than just, right. oh, they're an idiot or it was a crappy <laughs> place or you know, I think that's a lot of people's kind of go to when they don't when they don't have that introspection to really think about, like, why did this go this way? Yeah, it's easier. It's just so easier to much easier to label it and file it away and, and 
rather than have to really look at it, look at what was my part. Um, you know, that's, those are tough things to do. So how was your relationship with, um, you know, music, running, hobbies, and even your relationship with sobriety, like as you get older, do you have different relationships with those you know, outlets for lack of a better word? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, in the sense that as much as I've done a lot of different things, I've also been pretty consistent with those, those things. Yeah. And, you know, again, music is the easiest example just because like, it is a discipline. You do have to have a physical ability as well as a mental and, and emotional ability to, to do it. And so, you know, a lot of those things have just, you know, I still keep in shape. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have like, it doesn't happen a lot, but I'm, I'm pretty lucky to still be in a pretty big circle of, I could, I could certainly get a call to do some sort of very interesting musical thing. Um, that's so cool. This is probably a good answer to the keeping sober part too. You know, like it really in a good way, like, I don't feel like I'm on call, but I feel like I need to keep in shape in case. Yeah. So-and-so calls and says, Hey, our bass player is sick. We need you to come do this gig or whatever. So I think keeping those skills honed is is a big part of it. And, um, but it's also, I want to be clear about this because I think I just realized this. It's not just, it's not a distraction. It's not just distracting me from doing stuff I shouldn't do. It's really like a focus and a, a kind of a lifelong commitment, I guess, to doing it. And that really changes it versus it kind of being a a hobby or something I do when right. I feel like it or whatever. And I think it's good to have both. Yeah. But yeah. That's that's a great answer because music is that kind of thing where you always have to, it's like that whole like uh, let favors the well-prepared or stay ready so you don't have to get ready. It's just, it's that but it's because you love it. And music is something that no matter how long you've been playing or how much you've learned, you can never be perfect. You can never be the right. There's always more to learn. There's more practicing and and there's more instruments and more genres. And like, that's just a never ending opportunity for like improvement, you know, which is ironically our business is the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same in real estate. And my brother is a musician and he's also a realtor. And so I've watched him, connect as we get older we start connecting dots it's like we couldn't see things before and then you start everything is just connected and you can make all these parallels between all this different stuff but it's like whether it's songwriting or i mean i i think that is that's that is so huge and i love your point about the difference between a distraction like a time filler versus you know a purpose a passion something that you genuinely love that the flow as they call it right when you're doing that thing hours can pass and you're like oh my god it's been four hours it's that it's finding that type yep. of, it's different for everybody well, well i have to thank i have to thank you for that because that just happened live while we were talking i mean I, that literally just occurred to me i'm like right i'm not using it to escape something or do whatever like it's a it's a a lifelong focus you know that's so cool because it took that's me a cool. while to start to figure those things out too because CrossFit and meetings were outlets. It was a place for me to, to distract myself, to be in a different place than where I normally was because I needed to change a lot of things in my life. And so those, those workouts became almost an addiction because I needed a distraction. I needed an outlet. And I, I exercised the same way that I drank <laughs> with great fervor. Right. Right. And 
that's not always a good thing. And it took me a while to get yeah. some maturity and to be like, why am I, why do you have to do things to this extent? And I realized I'm not yeah. first. I was, I, it served its purpose because I needed a distraction at that time. Yeah, I did. That's what I was going to say. I, I feel very deeply though, that it probably does make sense to have some substitute stuff when you're yeah. first kind of going at it. Like you yeah. are going to transfer that same thing into various things um but yeah i i get that i can relate to that too and obviously i know yeah. knew that about you and it just and when, i think yes yeah when, no, I first, when i first sorry when i first quit drinking my when i would get home from work i would start drinking like and i wasn't going out to bars and clubs and stuff i drank pretty much at home and, right. and not but but so instead of that i went to a 6 p.m meeting at my home group in houston for years it's like, I knew I needed to replace, you know, my car wanted to go this way and I needed to go right. over there <laughs> and right. it was reprogramming and it was. And the good news is you're driving it, but those, yeah. those habits and those, those ruts, like they really, they, they, but they don't go away. No. And especially if I had a rough day or I was feeling weird or, or feeling emotional and I didn't have my anesthesia with me anymore. So now I'm just feeling everything and I'm like, Oh, right. no, this is really overwhelming, but I had a place to go. I had people who were counting on me to be there. I was chairing the meeting or I was helping or, and it took me a while to do that reprogramming. Um, but then over time you start to do things for joy instead of distraction. Right. right? And right. it, it takes time sometimes for that to happen. Um, I'm interested who in who you read or or follow or listen to for inspiration, any kind of inspiration. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it, it varies a pretty good bit. Um, I definitely consume and this was a big change for me. I definitely consume more things through audio now. Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely used to read a lot. I liked having physical books. I liked the fact that it's sitting there, like reminding me to read it. Yes. But I switched over to Audible somewhat recently, well, last year or so, and it was a little bit, it was definitely a bit of a lear learning curve. I don't know if you'd call it that, but um, it was uncomfortable. But then I was like, wait, now I'm listening to the author read their own book. Like, this is kind of cool. I can do it in the yeah. car. I can whatever. But as far as, you know, people, I mean, it really is varied. I definitely would do a lot of YouTube stuff. Um, you know, yeah. Andrew Huberman's stuff is great. I'm really a big fan of what, what he's doing. Um, he's basically a neuroscientist that does a lot of interesting real world things. There's a lot Love of amazing it. guests. Um, I think we talked about this too. Um, I absolutely love Rick Rubin's new book, uh, the creative mind. Yes. I've watched news. some of those, those interviews after you told me about that. He is just unbelievable. And he is, you know, he's in the music space. He literally essentially created at least hip hop as a, industry with BC boys and run DMC and all that. I mean, he didn't, yes. he didn't invent the form of music. In fact, what's cool is he doesn't play any instruments. He doesn't know how to work a recording board. He's a producer that's produced Tom Petty and the Dixie chicks and like just an unbelievable volume um, of work. But yeah, so I love his stuff and especially him on audible because it's him reading it. Right. And he's like a Zen person literally that exists, I think. He is so laid back. Listening to him talk is very calming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and a bunch of other assorted. It's funny. I definitely tend to do more business stuff. Um, one more, I'd love to get a quick plug in for her. 
Yeah. Um, there's a book called Creating Super Fans by Brittany Hodak. Okay. We spoke together at a couple of events. I got to kind of understand her style a bit more and they gave us a copy at one of event I was at. Um, it's a really great book. It's just simply about doing such a good job as a business that people just want to use you and they want to share the word and they want to do all that. And again, it could be applicable to anything. Any, you don't have to own a yeah. business, but so that's another good one. That's on my radar right now. Creating super fans by Brittany Kodak. That's cool. I wrote it down. I love, I love recommendations. Zodak. Hodak with an H H O D A K. I just wrote it three times. H O D A K. Okay. Got it. Um, just a few more questions here. We're doing great on time. Um, what is your, what's your favorite thing about being sober? And this is a weird question because when I think of it, if I ask someone who's in 12 step community, right. There's a, there's a, almost a set of answers that you would expect someone to pick from. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, yep. um, what's the word? um, prescribed almost like sponsoring other women. I love helping other women. You know what I mean? But like, but that's part, that's part yeah. though, that, that makes sense. And a lot of people need that. And a lot of people yeah. need to take on a sponsee or whatever to, to kind of like fulfill that circle or whatever, whatever you want to call right. it. But what's it like for you? And if you're not actively part of that community, like what is it, what is it for you? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, it's definitely very like multi-layered. Like there, it's a very, yeah. I don't know. I don't feel like complex is the right word, but I mean the, the, just the clarity of mind and being present and being mm. all of that. I mean, I think if you, if, if you said you can literally only give one answer, I think it's that, I think it's just yeah. the, cause I am, I mean, I'm a details guy. I'm a yeah. really super organized. I mean, basically what I do for a living all along is I help people solve like very complex problems. Right. And so I think for me, there's some level of, of performance. I don't exactly love that word, but there's some level of being able to, like you said, get into flow. I get into flow working just regular day-to-day -day work. And I'm like, Oh crap, it's four o'clock. I need to like drink some water or something like it right. just, <laughs> that comes really naturally to me. And I think yeah. that is, it's probably from the music training and the sports discipline stuff and all that. But I think that's the biggest thing. But yeah, there's a lot of other just, you know, and even kind of that, I don't love to use the word shame for this, but kind of like I said, when I was dating somebody and I didn't want to be like, oh, I just drank a beer. Can I talk to you? This is going to be weird. Are they going to know? Like all of that right. sort of stuff. Yeah. It, it avoid You avoid a lot of that by not doing it. I know that sounds a little crazy to probably a lot of people. Um, but yeah, it's just the decision that I made. Yeah, I would agree with that. When people have asked me that question, it's peace of mind is always the first thing I think of. It's just peaceful. It's just so peaceful. Right. And even when you had a really cool quote, and I'll get it wrong, but you had a really cool quote on your, on your, I can't remember if you said it or if she said it, but on your interview with Cole chance, mm. um, something to the effect of like the irony of like what we're trying to get from drinking, we actually get from not drinking. And so that really resonated with me. Like that was like, yep, I know that one. And it's, it's, you only see it in hindsight generally. Right. And it's, it's right. so weird, but like, to me, 
what I get out of exercise, for example. It's kind of like, this is going to suck now, feel better later. Alcohol is the opposite. This is going to feel good now and suck later. It's just flipping, but you're going to have to work for it. There is no instantaneous, you know, peace or, or that feeling of belonging or that whatever. It's like, it's from being honest, showing up, like it's these little victories that add up over time. And like my original sponsor used to say, if you want to be loved, be lovable. If you want to have self-esteem, do esteemable acts. Like we, it's going to take time. It's not instantaneous, like a pill or a drink. Um, and so, and our culture is very like, Hey, I want it right now. I want it now. Um, but the irony of like, after a while, when you settle into this new life, um, you realize that you start feeling all the feelings that you were chasing so hard with, all this other stuff and it never worked, you know, it's just crazy. Um, How would you say your parenting style has evolved over time? Yeah, that's really interesting. And I know you and I've talked some about the long term or the maybe for us now near term effects of just, just the power of having like an adult kid who's self-sufficient, like, yeah, I love it. I have a, you know, still a good chunk of friends who are either younger or having kids late or whatever. And I just love, you know, saying things to them like, this is awesome. Like three is awesome. Six is awesome. Eight is awesome. But like, there is nothing greater than having a, having a successful adult child for lack of a better term. Right. Um, (laughs) you want them to surpass you, right? Like in some level, like you, you want that for them. So, you know, I mean, at this point, you know, I mean, she's, you know, approaching 30. And so there's no, you know, the parenting is just being there for whatever, whenever, but there's certainly no like, oh, you should do this or you should do that. I mean, I think, (laughs) I think I probably ask her more questions than I, she probably helps me more than I help her. That's what I was going to say, Sarah, because my daughter, you know, will be 30 next month and her wisdom, she's been wise since she was little, you know, she's just a very wise person. And I learn more from her now. And I think my style of parenting, the way that I was raised is that parents are right. We're the grownups. You don't, I didn't ask for your opinion. Like it's, it was very much this, this hierarchical relationship and mine evolved to where this is a partnership. You know, they are smart enough to understand words. They can have conversations. They need space to say that I am sad or scared or that hurt my feelings. I am okay to apologize to my small child, which I didn't really do because I didn't think parents needed to do that because that's not how it was in our house. You would, I would have never gotten an apology from my parents. Like, are you kidding me? And well, there it's There's weird. an interesting generational thing there, though. And I think that, again, is kind of our bond is being the age we are and having, you know, kids the age that they are. Yep. I'd like to think that they fell into this really interesting, gen- I won't call it generational gap, but as far as we're concerned, technically a gap. Like, they kind of grew up in a little bit of an old school world. They didn't totally have cell phones. I guess they had video games, but you didn't play them all day. You played it for like 30 minutes and then you went and did something else and played outside. So, like. I'd like to think that their timing is just really also really good in the sense that they didn't totally grow up in the cell phone, social media world, but they didn't necessarily get 
spanked in the same way or disciplined at school or whatever in the same way that our generation did. So it's yeah. some of its it, timing, I think. I mean, I don't know, if, you know. I've never really thought of that because they were kind of the in-betweeners, like, which is interesting. Part of their lives were, were – because when Sarah was little, she was always like playing outside and this and that. And then, and then the internet and Facebook and all these things started to come in and you could, you could watch it change. And these 12, 13 year olds have cell phones now. And, you know, and it was, I'm not sure the changes were all good either, but like, I just, you know, when Sarah, when she would say like, you know, you were really hard on me or you expected a lot of me. And I was just like, you have no idea. (laughs) Well, I was going to say to be fair, you know, that applies to us too, right? Because we totally. did grow up in a generation totally. where you could get spanked in school or whatever. And that yeah. was a real thing. And I'm I'm glad I'm glad. I'm yeah. I love when and where and how I grew up and how all that yes. came to being. But I think you know, we brought a little more of that as parents because we were also younger. Yes. Because I was the same way. I was we were it was very disciplined. It was schoolwork, science fair projects, you gotta get, you know. Is your soccer uniform ready? Cause you got practice tomorrow. Like yeah. those sort of things, not mean, but disciplined for sure. It was very, very. Yeah. It went, and it was like chores and this and that, and making sure that your responsibilities were taken care of. And if you forgot your lunch or you forgot your lunch money or your, right. your soccer stuff, I mean, good luck. Nobody's going to run right. your stuff out to the school. Um, whereas when Sarah was little, I totally was like, Ooh, I need to bring, you know, and, um, but then I had that kind of hard line too of, of you know, you need to do what's expected of you uh, type of thing. Because right. I wanted to prepare her for the real world, not this soft, right. you know, easy, forgiving area where at home, what, you know, because I didn't want her to get eaten alive by the world. But it's kind of, it's interesting over time, the balance. And and um, and then at this point, you list, I listen to her say things or watch her life and I'm just like, you're so much more evolved than I was at your age. Like it's insane. It's really rewarding. But I, I think there's some key to the, that, to that more disciplined, strict stuff early. And then you do get to be more of a friend as they get older yeah. and you're, you're able to have that type of relationship versus like, you know, they, they have less the nest, but they still need you for some things, but not, you know, it, they're different things. You know, they're more right. adults. Um, you know, type of things. So, it's, right. uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's the greatest thing ever. In I mean, recovery, that, is, that is the I'm, meaning of life. Yeah. And I know that I'm fully present, you know, I'm, I'm really there and I'm really listening. And, and, you know, there was a period of time where it's like when she would start calling, call me and say, start saying things. And I was like, is this like one of those where you want my advice or where you just want me to listen? Because if I didn't give advice, she was like, well, what, I mean, what do you think? Or right. and if, if I did give advice, she's like, mom, I don't need advice. I'm just trying to bend. And I'm like, ah, you know, but now it's not like that. Cause she's old enough to where we can just communicate freely more like friends would or sisters or, or whatever. But, um, there's, yeah, like you said earlier, it's not really parenting. It's more just like walking each other through life, which is actually pretty cool. Um, okay. Last question. What is the most practical piece of advice? Um, either for people who aren't drinking or maybe they're thinking about like, I wonder if that's a a change I would want to make in my life. Like what, what's your wisdom nugget that you would pass on to people? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And this is maybe going to sound terrible to say, and I haven't said this in years and it just kind of came right back when you, when you (laughs) asked me that, um, 
Yeah, this this is not recovery approved. I'll just be really upfront about that. Who cares? You can always you can always start again. Like you can't you can't you know like try so it. You know, I mean, again, for me, there were a, a, a number of things that kind of happened around like yeah. stopping immediately, and then like oh maybe I can do this on the weekends. To like I probably shouldn't do this on the weekends. Like all of that. I don't think. I think it's really easy for people to look at other people or people in recovery or whatever, and just kind of be like, Oh, they've like, they're so far ahead of me. You know, they got 10 years, they got 20 years, like all that sort of thing. Um, but it really is the day by day that matters. I mean, it really is like, you know, again, I'm not recommending this per se, but like, I'm only going to drink on the weekends or what, whatever those things are. I think a lot of people with this, and I don't believe my actually thoughts have changed on this recently in like an addictive personality type thing. I think we yeah. all certainly have tendencies, but like, I don't wholly believe that you're like predestined to be an addict, whatever it is anymore. I think, I, I think I did previously, but you know, just that idea of like, whatever you do, that's forward progress is forward progress. Right. You know, when somebody picks up a chip or relapses or whatever, like they still had five years before that. I know, I know the program doesn't measure it that way, but like still had five years before that you made a mistake, something happened. Should probably get back in a program or try something different or try a different group or whatever those things are. Um, But yeah, it's one day at a time. Same way I started running again. Like I was in pretty bad health, I don't know what, when time, what time, what, exactly what time frame this was. I just started walking. I got an iPod and I just started walking and then I started running and then I started doing whatever. And, and like everybody, I think with addictive type things, right? you referenced this earlier and we've talked about it a ton. There's a lot of black and white, right? Like there's not a lot of gray. It's like you do it or you don't do it. And I think that gray is okay sometimes. Yeah. You got to be moving in the right direction, but I think it, it's okay to not, you know, maybe set some boundaries for yourself. Like I'm only going to have two drinks at this event or whatever those things are. But I just know it's easy to look at other people who have years of sobriety and be like, well, they have years or they did this or they had a great yeah. sponsor or whatever it is. And I just think the reality of it is, is, you know, again, oversimplified the responsibilities with you to move in the right direction. Right. That's great advice. And it's real. It's real life. That's realistic. Um, because whether it was Cole Chance or Gene McCarthy or all these different people, they didn't just stop all at once. They had a plan together or maybe they just fell in love with yoga and it just started to slowly replace right. these other, you know, desires or, or cravings or, you know, compulsions or whatever. Um, and I think that trying to really understand Um, like for me, before I do or say anything, whether it has to do with drinking or anything else, I think about, you know, how does this make me feel? How is this going to make me feel? Because to me, that's the punishment personally is how I feel after. And there are times where I want to say something or buy something or do something. And there's that buffer now of like, just because you want to do something doesn't mean you need to do it. But guess what? If you do it's not the end of the world. Like, you know, and 
your story was opposite where you started dating someone in recovery. I had been sober for nine months and I started dating someone who drank. Um, and I, I started drinking again, you know, and right. I needed to go through that thing and then find my way back, you know, to recovery yep. when I was ready. And we always say in the rooms, it takes what it takes to your point. You're not going to be a one ship wonder. Probably it's not going to magically transform, you know, overnight, but if, in that environment, I love that you said it that way. Cause that was the other piece I was thinking of. It's just that environment. Like, you know, deep down that if you go a certain place with certain people, what's going to happen. So if you're in a place to say like, Hey, I'm not doing that today or whatever. Fine. If you're not, don't go to that place with those people. And again, I know that's a gross oversimplification, but environment is really everything. And then over time, the environment won't matter anymore. So it wasn't his fault, you know, it was my own choice. And that's what I loved about what you said of responsibility. The onus is on me, whatever path I choose to, to change my habits or whatever, doesn't matter, but ultimately it is my responsibility and people, places, and things cannot make me do anything. And, you know, and so really just getting rid of all those excuses and the lies and the bullshit that my mind will try to tell me um, so that I can justify whatever it is I want to do that I damn well know that I don't need to do. And so I think it took me a lot of those missteps and I had to fall flat on my face over and over and over again. Um, and I needed that. I needed every one of those lessons. And that's when I know people who relapse after a year or five years, however long, whatever, it's like, okay, this sucks. Pick up a desire chip. Let's start again. But no one can ever take that time away from you. Right. Like you just said, you learned, you stayed, so you avoided consequences during that time. Like you, you learned things and that's, um, so you didn't fail, you know, you just, you went a different path and now you're going to get, and a lot of times for like Cole or all kinds of people that I know, they don't do AA, they find other ways that work for them. And that's the other, that's the other thing. Um, well, and to be fair, what's cool now is there are so many other resources between so online or podcasts like this or books or, you know, you can download a 12-step worksheet right now off the internet yes. and check some boxes or, or learn about it or whatever. So I think in that sense, again, a gross oversimplification, but just there are so many more resources now. Yeah, than there were even five, 10 years ago in, yeah. in podcasts and books. And, and you know, it, and when, once you start to know the signs too, you can really yes look. I was actually at dinner in DC with my aunt and uncle one, one time. And uh, we were close to DuPont Circle, just hanging out. Um, and like these doors open and these all these people come out. And I look over and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. That's, yep. There's a little little triangle circle there, and I'm like, right, I okay, I yeah. get it. So yeah. you start, you, there are <laughs> context clues the more you know, and you're kind of like, oh, right, you know, that's right. a that's a that's a cool place, and there's meetings all cool over the place. Community, no matter where I am in the world, I can drop into a meeting. I love that. That to me, that's the important part. It was like I know that if I, you know, and I don't do it now when I'm feeling wonky. I do it because I enjoy it. Like I literally like it. You know, I actually do, um, but. I can also go do a bunch of other things. It doesn't have to be all that. I can I can vary and take what I need and leave the rest, like they say. But the last thing I will say too, because generally when people, when we start asking ourselves questions about should I drink less, there's something behind that, right? Right. And Yeah, that's, that's I, the first sign. 
That might be the first step. That's the half step. (laughs) (laughs) I had so many moments and questions of like, why can't I drink like those people? Or why don't I want to go? Like I just, and people who have a normal relationship with alcohol or whatever else generally aren't asking themselves those kinds of questions. So for me, that was, that was a red flag that I just mowed right over hundreds of times. Right. (laughs) All that inner voice stuff, you know, and, um, doesn't mean that you have to be 100% abstinent. That's not true for everybody. Right. But maybe some changes should be made, you know? Um, so, well, that's, that's great. That's a great point. I I really like that. I really like the idea that like, if you've had that thought in a serious way, then that probably is a cue to, again, explore it. It doesn't mean you have to check into a treatment center and go inpatient and then go to meetings every day for the rest of your life. Like there's just different, different things for different people. And I think that that's amazing. And I think, you know, in the old, in the old days or when, when, you know, (laughs) AA first came out and it was a very strict, it was a very strict program. Like it literally said, you, you do this, you do not do this. And that's just not how the world is anymore in, no. in the same way. So different different strokes for different folks is is totally where it's at. Yeah, because we've become more and more open minded. I am not. I am. I don't like anything that looks monotheistic or this is the only way. Like I, that kind of stuff really scares the living shit out of me. So like, I don't like some of that. And there is that in recovery uh, circles. And so you have to be careful. Like you said, you've got to check out different groups and find out where you fit in. And there's recovery dharma. There's she's recovers. There's there's so many options now, but when you're having those questions of yourself of like, what's going on with me or like this, this is starting to feel like I should maybe take a look at this. Those are cues. And for me, I didn't want to tell anyone because I was afraid then that they were going to make me stop or they were going right. Right. to be alerted to the fact that I was aware that there was some kind of issue going on with me. So I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. Um, Cause I don't want and to, that's super this. normal. I'm sure. Yeah. Mo- I mean, nobody who, nobody wants to have that conversation. Nobody no, wants to be like, hey, maybe I shouldn't do this this way. And I don't want to be told what to do either. So it was like, it had right. to be my idea. <laughs> okay. Well, right. we, I am so grateful for just our friendship and our conversations and the fact that you were willing to be here today and share your story and, and share your wisdom with us. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, I love I love the show. I love that you're doing it. I love that you're talking about this openly with people. Like, there's so many good things here. So, um, and like I told you before, like I didn't want to be a guest. Like when you first even asked, I'm like, why would I be a guest at your? But that's crazy. I'm not in recovery. I'm not blah blah blah. Like I don't fit any of those boxes. But that's kind of the beauty of the point of what you've done here is that you're you are allowing different people to give different stories and different things, and I think that helps other people really kind of understand that there isn't a cut and dry way. There isn't one way. Um, and it's wonderful. So I, I really appreciate you uh, also as a friend and and let me do this. Cause I've really never, I haven't even told you some of this stuff. So it was, it was yeah. fun. Yeah, that was, that was, that was definitely enlightening today. I learned some new things, which is surprising because I thought I knew most of it. So thank you again. <laughs>